السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله صحبه أجمعين أما بعد um, so I think if you have the questions up should we start with a couple of questions I think this is from the lesson that we did on the قراءات so we're just going to take a couple of questions that people had and then inshallah we'll start with uh, the next surah question is, when the Prophet ﷺ would recite, how would he vary in choosing which qira'ah to recite? And would he recite the whole Qur'an in one qira'ah, then cite for few the other ones? Okay, so the question is, when the Prophet ﷺ would recite, how would he vary between one qira'ah to another? And would he recite the Qur'an only one qira'ah and so on? So it's not mentioned, uh, to the best of my knowledge, like in the sunnah that he would read, for example. And remember, these names of qira'at came later. Right? It's named after the imams. And the imams, like every science in Islam, they were developed and structured after, you know, like the Prophet passed away and the time of the companions and so on. So we're talking about, you know, at the very earliest, the time of the tabi'een, the student of the students of the companions. So the Prophet wouldn't be reading in the qira'ah of Nafi' because Nafi' wasn't born, right? And the qira'ah of Asim because Asim wasn't born. So the Prophet would read the Quran and it was, as we mentioned in the hadith of Umar, he said, it was revealed to me like this and like that. Right? And so he would read the Quran and he would teach the Quran, but because those it hadn't been formalized and structured in that way, we have a hadith like the hadith of Umar that shows that those variants those variations existed, but we don't have, for example, the Prophet read in Susi or he read in Khalaf, because those names and that type of formation of the science didn't yet exist. Just as you know, we don't have the hadith the, the Prophet teaching fiqh. Hanafi, Fiqh, or Shafi, because that's something which came much later on, right? Or even Hadith, right? Because everything he said is Hadith, right? Or Tafsir in the, the sense that we understand it today. Okay, and um, could you clarify what qualifies someone to be a Qari and a Rawi, and why Khalaf earned the status as both? Okay, so what qualifies someone to be a Qari or a Rawi? Um, it's not necessarily that they had qualifications or that, um, you know, these are the people that became famous and well-known for them. Right? Why, for example, today, predominantly across the Muslim world, do we only follow the four madhabs? When there were thousands of scholars that lived in that time, greater than Imam Malik and others, they were their teachers and you know, their, the, the, the ulama that they studied with, and from, even from the time of the companions. But it's just that those four imams, their students were the ones who formalized their teachings and they spread them and they wrote them and they kind of like structured them and spread them and so on. And so they became schools in and of themselves because of that. Right? Imam Shafi'i, for example, used to say about one of his other teachers, Imam Shafi'i studied with Imam Malik and with others. One of his teachers from Egypt was a scholar by the name of Al-Layth ibn Sa'ad, rahimahullah. And he used to say, Al-Laythu afqahu min Malik. Layth is more knowledgeable than Imam Malik, but his students didn't do anything with his teachings. Meaning they didn't formulate them, they didn't structure them, they didn't spread them. They didn't teach them. Whereas Imam Malik's did. Imam Ahmad's did. Imam Shafi's did. Imam Abu Hanifa's did. Right? And it's the same way with Qiraat. You have many great scholars of Qiraat from the teachers of the Qur'an that we know and others. But it's just that you know, they, were, they, they didn't become well known. So all of the people of Basra would have read in the Qira'ah of the Basriyan. And in Mecca, all of them would have read in the Qira'ah of Ibn Kathir. And in Medina of Nafi' or Abu Ja'far. But it's just that these Shriukh, these Qaris, because they used to spend all of their time and effort teaching them, and they had like, you know, multitudes of students, they became famous for it. 
and so it just kind of went through their names and they became famous and so on. So, for example, Khalaf, he studied, or some of these, you know, you have more than, or sometimes the same person that's narrating more than one qira'ah, is because they studied with more than one teacher. Right? They studied with more than one teacher, and they narrated from this one, and they narrated from that one, and they became famous for teaching both. And Allah knows best. And this last one, uh, given that Imam Shatabi took from one book, but Imam uh, Al-Jazari took from many, despite coming later, would you say that uh, Imam Al-Jazari's collection would be more thorough and authentic? Okay, so Imam Al-Shatabi, as we said, takes from one source, and Imam Ibn Jazari takes from many sources. So does that mean that Ibn Jazari's is more authentic? No. Does it mean it's more authentic? It means it is more comprehensive. And that's why in, in you know the modern kind of like terminology of qira'at, when we speak about the ten qira'at from the way of Imam Al-Shatabi, it's called Al-Ashr Al-Sughra, the ten minor qira'at. Whereas Ibn Jazari's are called Al-Ashr Al-Kubra, the major ten qira'at, right? And the reason why they're major and minor isn't because one is more authentic or bigger or smaller, anything like that. It's because Imam Al-Shatabi, as we said, stuck to one source or one book and one, one kind of like path, Whereas Ibn Jazari took like many, many approaches, as he said, over 900 different narrations. And because of that, it's called like the major ten qira'at, because it is more comprehensive. So it's an issue, because both of them are mutawatir. It's an issue of this being more comprehensive and that being more focused. And Allah knows best. Okay. So we finished, alhamdulillah, Surah Nas, and we finished uh, Surah Al-Falaq. And today, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to be beginning with Surah Al-Ikhlas. Right? Chapter number 100 and... 112. 112. I'm sure it's right. Okay. Surah Al-Ikhlas. Ibn al one of the scholars of the past, I think lived around 600 something or passed away around the year 600. He said concerning the name of this surah, Surah Al-Ikhlas, and Ikhlas means you know, the chapter of purity, the chapter of sincerity, however you want to translate that. He said that the meaning of uh, this surah is or the reason why it was called this surah is because it speaks sincerely and purely about Allah and His names and His attributes. And because it speaks only about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah azza wa jal, or then the scholars rather, and, and even the Prophet called it Surah Al-Ikhlas, it became known with this name of Surah Al-Ikhlas. And Imam Al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala was one of the famous scholars of Tafsir, and he passed away I think around the year 450 Hijri. Um, so he's like one of the more earliest scholars of tafsir. He has a book of tafsir, and it's called An-Nukat Wal-Uyun. An-Nukat Wal-Uyun. But it's also famously known as Tafsir Al-Mawardi. But his actual title is An-Nukat Wal-Uyun. He said that the reason why this surah is called Surah Al-Ikhlas is for three reasons. The first reason is because to read it is a means of escaping from the punishment of Allah. It saves you, safeguards you from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the word to safeguard or to save or to escape in the Arabic language one of the words is khalas right? khalas which ikhlas khalas like you know they have the same root word the second reason he gave because he gave three reasons the second reason is the same that, that um, Ibn al-Athir mentioned that he speaks only about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is a surah that speaks exclusively about Allah and so therefore it is called the Surah of Purity because it purely speaks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third reason, which he attributed to Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah, one of the famous scholars of the Salaf, he said because it is a Surah that purifies Allah from every 
deficiency and every weakness. It is a surah that purifies Allah from every deficiency and every weakness and every partner and therefore it is known as Suratul Ikhlas. Suratul Ikhlas. It has four verses, Suratul Ikhlas, and the scholars differed as to whether it was revealed in Mecca or in Medina. Right? And we'll go into this in slightly more detail when we speak about the cause of revelation and the reason behind its revelation. But some of the scholars said that it is a Makki surah, and that was the opinion of Ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu an, al-Hassan, and Ata' and Ikrimah, and others. Right? They said that it is the opinion of, uh, sorry, they said that this uh, surah is a Makki surah. What's a Makki surah, as we said? Revealed pre-Hijrah, right? before Hijrah. And this was also one of the two opinions of Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas has both opinions. He says Makki and Madani. So Makki, Ibn Abbas, Ibn Mas'ud, Al-Hassan, Ata'a, Ikrimah, they said that it is a Makki surah. And in the other opinion of Ibn Abbas, he said it's a Madani surah, meaning that it was revealed post-Hijrah. And this was the opinion of Qatada, and Al-Dahak, and Al-Suddi. Ibn Kathir and many other scholars of tafsir like Al-Baghawi, Ibn Kathir and others, they uh, seem to side on the opinion that it's a Makki surah. Right? Why is there a difference of opinion? It comes back to the cause of revelation, which we'll speak about in a short while, because of the differences in the narrations that speak about the reason behind its revelation. You have this difference of opinion behind it being a Makki or a Madani surah. The names of this surah, so its most famous name, as we said, is Surah Al-Ikhlas. Right, and that's mentioned in, um, I think even in some of the sunnah, it's mentioned as Surah Al-Ikhlas. And then you have, um, you have, actually I don't think it's mentioned as Surah Al-Ikhlas in the sunnah. Um, but that's the name that's given to it by many of the scholars of tafsir. Also from the names of this surah is, Qul Allahu Ahad. And you'll find that this is a very common thing in some of the books of tafsir. When they come to naming surahs, they often just give it the name of the first verse. So Surah, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Surah, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَاتِحِ Surah, تَبَّتْ يَدَى أَبِي لَهَبِ يُمَتَبْ That's very common amongst scholars of tafsir, especially if they, some of the scholars, if they didn't find a narration in which the Prophet ﷺ gave it a name, because the Prophet ﷺ, some of the names of the surahs are mentioned in the sunnah. Baqarah, Ali Imran, you know, these are surahs that the Prophet ﷺ named, Al-Fatiha, so we know that this is what they're called. Then there's other surahs in which it's not mentioned in the sunnah that they have a name. Right? And so often what the scholars will do then is they'll just call it after the first verse. So Surah Qulhu Allahu Ahad. Right? And that's one of the names of this Surah. Another name of this Surah is Surah Al-Tawheed. The Surah of Tawheed because it speaks about Allah and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and it speaks about the uh, you know the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another name of this Surah is Surah Al-Iman. The Surah of Faith. And that's based upon a hadith that is in the Sahih of Ibn Hibban, the hadith of Jabir radiallahu that a man was praying the two rak'ahs of Fajr and he prayed the first rak'ah and he recited Surah Al-Kafirun. And in the second rak'ah, uh, sorry, he, he prayed the two rak'ahs of Fajr and the Prophet was listening to him. So he read the, in the first rak'ah Surah Al-Kafirun and the Prophet said, this is a man who knows his Lord. This is a man who knows his Lord. And then in the second rak'ah, he recited Surah Al-Ikhlas. And we know generally that the Prophet ﷺ would often read these two surahs in the two rak'ahs of Fajr. He read Surah Al-Ikhlas in the second rak'ah, and so the Prophet ﷺ said, this is a servant, or this is a man who believes in his Lord. 
So after the first surah, this is a servant who knows his Lord. After the second one, this is a servant who amana bi he believes in his Lord. So some of the scholars called it the surah of Iman, based upon this hadith, because the Prophet said it's a surah about belief in Allah Azza wa Jal. Another name of this surah is Al-Mu'awwidah, which means the surah of refuge, the surah of protection, right? And in that way, it is similar. That's why some of the scholars said that the Mu'awwidah, the surahs that give you refuge, include Surah Al-Ikhlas along with Surah Falaq and Surah Nas. And the reason for that is because of this hadith in Abu Dawood on the authority of Uqba ibn Amir, radiyallahu an, that he said that as, we were, as I was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said to me, O Uqba, say. So I remained quiet. So he said to me a second time, O Uqba, say. Qul, say. And I remained quiet. And then a third time he said to me, O Uqba, say. So I said to him, O Messenger of Allah, and what should I say? He said to me, say, Qul Allahu ahad, and he read the whole surah. And then he said, Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq, and he read the whole surah. And then he said, Qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas, and he read the whole surah. And then he said to me, no one has sought refuge in anything like these three. No one has sought refuge in anything like these three. And because the Prophet included the ikhlas with falaq al-nas, some of the scholars said that one of the names of this surah is al-mu'awwidah. Right? So we have ikhlas, qul huwallahu ahad as a name, tawheed, iman, and mu'awwidah. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And there may be other names as well that I didn't come across. The virtues of this surah. Many virtues that are mentioned in the sunnah concerning this surah. From them is the hadith of Qatada ibn Nu'man radiyallahu an that is collected in Sahih al-Bukhari. Anna rajulan qama fi zaman al-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yaqra'u min al-sahar qul huwa Allahu ahad la yazidu alayha. Falamma asbahna ata al-rajulu al-Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama fadhakara thalika lahu wa kana al-rajul يَتَقَالُهَا فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ إِنَّهَا لَتَعْدِلُ ثُلُثَ الْقُرْآنِ That a man in the time of the Prophet وسلم, spent the whole night awake reading surah قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ And he wouldn't read anything else. Spent the whole night awake meaning in tahajjud reading this. So in the morning one of, another man who heard him do this all night came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, O Messenger of Allah, so and so this is what he did last night. And the Prophet said, by the one in whose hand is my soul, it equals a third of the Qur'an. Right? So that's obviously, you know, probably the most famous virtue of Surah Al-Ikhlas, that it equals a third of the Qur'an. In another narration of the same hadith, in the narration that is in the Mustad of Imam Ahmad, this time on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiyallahu an, that the man who came to the Prophet telling him of what the other companion did was his neighbor. So he was a neighbor who heard his neighbor spending the whole night awake in tahajjud reading Surah Qul Allahu Ahad, wouldn't do anything else, he would just repeat it over and over again. And so when he came and told the Prophet he said, it is equal to a third of the Qur'an. In another hadith in Al-Bukhari, this time uh, also on the authority of Abu Sa'id Al-Khudri, radiyallahu that the Prophet said, أَيَعْجِزُ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَقْرَأَ ثُلُثَ الْقُرْآنِ فِي لَيْلَةِ are any of you able, addressing the companions, are any of you able to read a third of the Qur'an in a single night? So they found that to be difficult, right? The companions thinking about reading a third of the Qur'an, which you know would be ten juz, they found that too difficult to do. So the Prophet, so they said, O Messenger of Allah, who from amongst us can do that? Who from amongst us can possibly do that? 
So then the Prophet said, Allah al-Wahid al-Samad, through the Quran. This surah, Allah al-Wahid al-Samad, reading you know, the names in the surah, it is equal to a third of the Quran. In yet another hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari also, on the authority of Aisha, radiyallahu anha, أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان إذا أوى إلى فراشه كل ليلة جمع كفيه ثم نفث فيهما فقرأ فيهما قل هو الله أحد وقل أعوذ برب الفلق وقل أعوذ برب الناس ثم يمسح بهما ما استطاع من جسده يبدأ بهما على رأسه ووجهه وما أقبل من جسده يفعل ذلك ثلاث مرات she said, Aisha radiallahu anha, that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would go to bed every single night, he would bring his two hands together and he would blow into them and then he would read, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ And then he would wipe over what he could of his body beginning with his head and his face and then what he could from his body and he would do that three times. Right? And one of the interesting points in this hadith is how the hadith says that he would blow before reading. Right? So it's very common that most of us read first and then blow. This hadith shows that it's allowed for you to blow first and then read, rather than reading and then blowing. Right? And Shaykh Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he said that either way it's fine, whether you do this one first or that one first, both of them are fine. Some of the scholars, however, did say that it's better because of this hadith that you blow first and then you read. Right? But then you have other hadith in which it seems to denote the other way around, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. In yet another hadith, this time also in Al-Bukhari, and also narrated by Aisha, radiyallahu anha, and this is also a famous uh, hadith, أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بعث رجلا على سرية وكان يقرأ لأصحابه في صلاتهم فيختم بقل هو الله أحد فلما رجعوا ذكروا ذلك للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet ﷺ sent an army out and he made one of the companions the head or the leader of this army. And every time he would lead them in prayer, he would read what he wanted from the Qur'an, but he would always finish the rak'ah with قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ So when they came back, they told the Prophet ﷺ about this. فَقَالْ سَلُوهُ لِأَيِّ شَيْءٍ يَصْنَعُ ذَلِكَ So he said to them, ask him, why does he do this? فَسَأَلُوا So they asked him, فَقَالَ لِأَنَّهَا صِفَةُ الرَّحْمَانِ وَأَنَا أُحِبُّ أَنَ أَقْرَأَ بِهَا So he replied, because it is the description of Allah, and I love to read it. So the Prophet ﷺ said, أَقْبِرُوهُ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّهُ Tell him that Allah also loves him. Right? He said, it describes Allah and I love to read it. So he said, and Allah also loves him. And this hadith is in Al-Bukhari. In yet another hadith, in Sunan al-Nasai, this time collected by on the authority of Abdurrahman ibn Abza. Abdurrahman ibn Abd Abza is one of those companions that is well known, not a famous name, but he was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he was one of the uh, people who became um, in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. There's a famous narration of uh, the governor of Mecca when he left Mecca to come to see Umar. He left this companion, Abdurrahman ibn Abza, and he was like a young companion, not very well known. Abdurrahman ibn Abza, he left him amongst the people of Mecca as their governor. So he came to Umar radiallahu anhu, and Umar said to him, who did you leave behind in your place right, as governor? You've come here, who have you deputized? And he said, I left ibn Abza. So Umar said to him, and who is ibn Abza? And he replied, he's a man of the Qur'an, a skull of the Qur'an. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, you did good because the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa that Allah will raise 
the station of people with the Quran and he will lower the station of others through the Quran. Right? And so Abdurrahman ibn Abza is you know one of those lesser known names from amongst the companions. He says narrating uh, that the Prophet كان يوتر بسب حسم ربك لعلا وقل يا أيها الكافرون وقل هو الله أحد فإذا فارغ قال سبحان الملك القدوس ثلاثا ويمد في الثالثة. This is an النسائي that when the Prophet would read his witr prayer at night, he would read سبح اسم ربك لعلا in the first rak'ah قل يا أيها الكافرون in the second rak'ah and قل هو الله أحد in the third rak'ah and then when he would finish his witr he would say Subhan al-Malik al-Quddus three times, and on the third time he would elongate the word Quddus. Right? So this was the son of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In yet another hadith, right? and I've lost count, I don't know how many hadith we've done now. Does anyone know? Number six, seven? Six. No one's counting? Six, okay. The sixth hadith, this time the hadith of Uqba ibn Amir, radiyallahu an, that's collected in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad, he said, لَقِيتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. He said, I met the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. فَقَالَ لِي يَا عُقْبَةَ يَا عُقْبَةَ ابْنِ عَامِرَ أَلَا أُعَلِّمُكَ سُورًا مَا أَنْزَلَتْ فِي التَّوْرَاتِ وَلَا فِي الزَّبُورِ وَلَا فِي الْإِنْجِيلِ وَلَا فِي الْفُرْقَانِ مِثْلُهُنْ لَا يَأْتِينَ عَلَيْكَ لَيْلَ إِلَّا قرأتهن قرأتهن فيها. قل هو الله أحد وقل أعوذ برب الفلق وقل أعوذ برب الناس. He said that I came and met the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to me, O oh, Uqba ibn Amir, shall I not teach you chapters, the, the likes of which were not revealed in the Torah or the, the Gospels or the Psalms or even in the Quran? No one will read anything like them in the night, meaning that there is nothing similar to them to be read at night. And then he said, Qul huwa Allahu ahad, qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq, qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas. Qala Uqba, فَمَا أَتَتْ عَلَيَّ لَيْلَ إِلَّا قَرَأْتُهُنَّ فِيهَا وَحُقَّ لِي أَلَّا أَدَعَهُنَّ وَقَدْ أَمَرَنِي بِهِنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So Uqba said, after the hadith, he's commenting himself, Uqba is the companion who's narrating this hadith, he said, since that night, a night has not passed, except that I read these surahs, and I would never leave it because it's something which the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم commanded me to do so. And this is the hadith in Muslim Right, seven. Seventh hadith, also in um, collected in uh, by Imam Ahmad and in the Muwatta of Imam Malik. This time on the authority of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, and the Nabiya sallallahu alaihi wasallam sami'a rajulan yaqra'u kulhu wallahu ahad. فقال وجبت قالوا يا رسول الله ما وجبت قال وجبت له الجنة. The Prophet sallam heard a man reciting kulhu wallahu ahad, so he said it is obligatory. They said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, what is obligatory? He said it is obligatory for him to enter into paradise. It is obligatory upon him to enter into paradise. Abu Hurairah says, commenting on this hadith, he said that when I heard this hadith, I wanted to hurry to that man and give him the glad tidings of what the Prophet had said. But by the time I got up to chase after him, he had left. I didn't know where he went and he had left. And in the eighth hadith, eight. Eighth, number eight. Okay, eighth hadith. This time on the authority of Mu'adh ibn Anas al-Juhani, radiyallahu an, collected by Imam Ahmad and others. Uh, the Prophet said, "Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, man qara'a qul huwa Allahu ahad ashna maratin, bana Allahu lahu baytin fil jannah." Whoever reads qul huwa Allahu ahad ten times, Allah will build for him a house in paradise. Right? And this hadith 
is a hadith over which the scholars differed over its authenticity. Some of them said it is authentic, and others from amongst them said it is weak, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Right? So those are the hadith you know, that speak about um, the different virtues of Surah Al-Ikhlas. Some of them speak about it being a, had, uh, a surah that will give you Jannah. Right? And that's why we said some of the scholars from the names that they gave, or one of the reasons why they said that this surah is called Surah Al-Ikhlas, is because it saves you from the punishment of the fire. Right? Because the Prophet said, reading it will give you Jannah. And then other hadith from the virtues that speak about it being a surah, that if you love it, then Allah Azza wa will love you because of your love for it. And then you know the famous ones of this surah being equal to a third of the Qur'an. And then we have other hadith that are weak, that speak about the virtues of this surah, but they're weak hadith, but because they're you know, commonly like quoted and so on, I thought it would be a good idea to mention them, just so that we can be aware of them. From them is the hadith that is narrated by Anas ibn Malik, or reportedly narrated by Anas ibn Malik, عن, that it said that the Prophet said, whosoever reads in a single day 200 times, أحد, then 50 years of their sins will be forgiven, Unless they are in debt. Unless they are in debt, 50 years of their sins will be forgiven. This is collected by At-Tirmidhi and Al-Bayhaqi in Shu'ab al-Iman. And it is a weak hadith. It is a hadith that is weak and its chain of narration is not authentic. Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah said that any hadith that speaks about reading the surah hundreds of times or thousands of times, all of them are weak and they are not, um, not authentic. Another hadith that is sometimes mentioned um, it's also a hadith that's narrated by Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu an and collected by Ibn Asakir and this time it said that the Prophet said whoever reads Qul Allahu Ahad once will be blessed and if they read it twice them and their families will be blessed and if they read it three times them, their families and their neighbors will be blessed and if they read it twelve times then Allah will build for them 12 castles or 12 palaces or 12 houses in Jannah. And it will be said to them, or people will say, let us go and visit, or the angels will say, let us go and visit the, uh, the palaces or the houses of our brother. And whoever reads it a hundred times will have 25 years of sins forgiven, unless they have uh, harmed someone in their wealth or in their blood. And whoever reads it 200 times will have 50 years of sins forgiven unless they harm someone in their wealth or in their blood. Whosoever reads it 300 times will be given the reward of 400 martyrs. 400 martyrs. And whoever reads it a thousand times will not die until they see their place in Jannah. And the scholar said that this is a fabricated hadith. So it's not even weak, it is a fabricated hadith. And so therefore something which is a lie upon the Prophet And the other hadith um, that's often, and, and it's like they all kind of like all of these hadith are, are the ones that speak about reading this surah multiple times, right, in a single gathering. And this is also a hadith that is mentioned in, um, in some of the books of hadith, like Al-Bayhaqi mentions it in Shu'ab, and also on the authority of Anas ibn Malik, that whoever reads Qul Allahu Ahad 200 times will be forgiven the sins of 200 years. Right? And this is also a weak hadith, the scholar said it is munkar, rejected because it is extremely weak. Right? So, some of the scholars said that any had or the hadiths that speak about reading Surah Al-Ikhlas multiple times in a single gathering, all of them are weak. Right? 
And even the hadith, as we said, the hadith speaks about reading Qul had ten times, you know, together, ten times in a day, um, is something which some scholars said is authentic, some scholars said it is weak. For example, Shaykh bin Baz, rahimahullah, used to say it is a weak hadith. Right? And he say, would say that it's not authentic. Other scholars said that it is authentic. But other than that hadith over which the scholars differ, any other ones that speak about reading the surah hundreds of times or you know, multiple times or whatever it may be, those hadith, one of them, are weak and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The cause of revelation. And this goes back to the issue of why this surah, some of the scholars said it is Makki and some of them said it is Madani. So the scholars mentioned two, um, two reasons or two causes of revelation. And they kind of come back to the same narration, but because there are different wordings of that narration, you have this difference. The first opinion, and that is like the, the majority kind of opinion, is that this surah was revealed because the disbelievers of Quraysh came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, tell us the lineage of your Lord. Tell us the lineage of your Lord. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this surah. And this was the opinion of Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu anhu, the famous companion of the Prophet ﷺ and the great scholar of tafsir and Quran. So Ubay ibn Ka'ab is you know, the companion that the Prophet ﷺ is say, you know, he's one of the companions that you take the Quran from. So in his opinion or in his view it was because the Quraysh came and they wanted to know who Allah is so they said give us the lineage of your Lord right? give us his ancestry give us his lineage, his family tree whatever you want to call it and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Ikhlas which obviously speaks about how Allah is unique, that's one view and the other view is the, the opinion of Qatada rahimahullah, one of the scholars with tafsir from the Tabi'een he said that it was the Jews who came to the Prophet ﷺ. And they said to him, Allah is the one who created everything, but who created Allah? This is the question they asked. Allah created everything, but who created Allah? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Ikhlas in response to them. So those scholars who said that it is a Madani Surah, they took the narration of Qatada. Right? They took the narration that it's the Jews that asked the question because the Jews only became involved in these issues after the Hijrah when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina and he mixed with the Jewish tribes that were living in Medina and they became involved and they would have these discussions with the Prophet ﷺ. And those who took the other side that it's a Makki surah they took the narration that it was the disbelievers of Quraysh. Right? And there are some scholars who said that it was revealed twice once in Mecca, once in Medina. So when the Quraysh asked the question it was revealed and when the Jews of Medina asked the question, the same surah was revealed again. And some of the scholars of Tafsir said that that's a possibility as well. So what are these narrations? Um, the narrations, the first one is the hadith of Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiyallahu anhu, collected in Tirmidhi and by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad. Inna al-mushrikeena qalu lil-nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the mushrikeen of Quraysh, they came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they said, tell us the lineage of your Lord. So Allah revealed, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدُ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٌ In another narration of the same kind of incident, this time uh, collected by Imam Al-Tabarani in his Al-Mu'jam Al-Awsat on the authority of Jabir ibn Abdullah رضي الله عنه that an Arabi, a Bedouin, came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said, tell us the lineage of your Lord. So Allah revealed, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ to the end of the surah. And then you have the hadith of Ibn Abbas 
radiyallahu anhuma that is collected by Ibn Adi uh, that the Jews came to the Prophet ﷺ from amongst them was Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf and they said, O oh Muhammad, describe to us your Lord that sent you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Qul Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad, the surah, surah al-Ikhlas. The narration of um, Ibn Adi, this last one that speaks about the Jews, the scholar said that it is a weak narration. And as for the other hadith, the scholars said that they have slight weaknesses in them, but when they come together, because it's mentioned by a number of chains of narration and so on, they strengthen one another, and so it rises up to the level of hasan, of being acceptable and graded as a good and acceptable hadith. This was the opinion of Al-Hafid ibn Hajar, rahimahullahu ta'ala, and Al-Suyuti, and Shaykh Al-Bani, and many others, right? And Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, and others, they said, that even though those other hadith have slight weaknesses within them as individual hadith, but when they come together and they're brought together, they strengthen one another and they rise to the level of hasan. And as we know, when there's hadith that have slight weaknesses, they can be used to strengthen one another and they can rise to that level of being an acceptable hadith. So these hadith speak about the cause of revelation. So the Quraysh came and they wanted to know about Allah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about himself. One of the, the questions therefore that then arises is this hadith being equal to a third of the Qur'an? What does that mean? That this, this, sorry, this surah is equal to a third of the Qur'an. Surah Al-Ikhlas is equal to a third of the Qur'an. What does that exactly mean? And there are different opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to what it refers to exactly. Some of them said that it refers to the reward of recitation. So when you read Surah Al-Ikhlas, you're given the reward of reading a third of the Qur'an. Right? And others said, another opinion is that it refers to those people who are unable to read more than a few surahs. So they're unable to read maybe perhaps because they didn't read, learn to read the Qur'an properly or maybe they new Muslims and they can't read the Qur'an or whatever it is. It's specific for them. For them it equals a third of the Qur'an if they read Surah Al-Ikhlas because they don't have the ability to read more. And this seems to be a weak opinion because the hadith that speak about it being equal to a third of the Qur'an are general. Right? And they don't mention any, you know, they don't specify elderly people or illiterate people or people who are, you know, not very well educated, only Muslims who can't read or whatever else it may be. And so, therefore, that seems to be a stretch, and Allah knows best. Another scholar said that the meaning of it being a third of the Quran is in reference to its meanings. And that's because some of the scholars of Tafsir say that the Quran, in terms of topic and content, is kind of divided into three broad categories. Number one is stories. Number two is Allah and Tawheed. And number three is rulings, halal and haram. So they say because this surah speaks about Allah, it's as if it equals a third of the Qur'an. It's as if it equals a third of the Qur'an. Those scholars who say that it equals a third of the Qur'an in terms of recitation, in terms of the reward of its recitation, they then further differ amongst themselves. Some of them said that if you read the surah al-ikhlas three times, you get the reward of reading all of the Qur'an, right? So if you read Qul Allah had once, it's a third of the Qur'an, twice, another third, another third time, another third, so you get the reward, as if you read the whole Qur'an. And other scholars said, no, you don't get more than the reward of one third of the Qur'an, no matter how many times you read it. So it's not like the case that you read it three times and you get the reward of all of the Qur'an, even if you read it just once, or as many times as you want, you only get the reward of a third of the Qur'an, and this was the opinion of some of the scholars like Imam al-Qurtubi and Ibn Rushd, 
and uh, even Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah he seems to kind of support this opinion and what they say is because it is a uh, it is a different type of reward right? so this reward is something which is specific to reading Surah Al-Ikhlas but it doesn't take the, the, the if you like the position or the station of reading the remainder of the Quran so for a person just to read Surah Al-Ikhlas and not read anything else doesn't give you the benefits and the lessons and the virtues of reading one of the Qur'an. So you only get a third of the Qur'an. And you know, Ibn Taymiyyah has a long discussion about this in Majmu' al-Futawa and how, for example, you know, different acts of worship that you do. Uh, you know, like for example, the person who, uh, who goes to Masjid Quba and he prays two rak'ahs has the reward of an Umrah. Does that take the place of the actual person that actually goes to Mecca and puts on a haram and makes tawaf and sa'i and shaves their head and actually makes umrah, the two of them are not equal. Right? So this person has the reward of an umrah, but this person has the reward of an umrah and the dhikr that they make and all of the extra worship that they do and the hardship that they endure and all of that stuff. So likewise, the one who reads Surah Al-Ikhlas by itself has the reward of a third of the Qur'an. But that reward isn't the same as someone who actually reads a third of the Qur'an, meaning that they read ten juz. Because they spend more time and more effort and they're reading more words and more verses. And not only are they getting that reward of the third of the Qur'an, they're getting those extra rewards as well. Right? Like for example also the one, and, and the sunnah is like similar, like has a number of hadith like this, that so-and-so that does this action will get such and such a reward. Right? You know, like a dhikr has like certain rewards. If you do it, you get that reward. But that doesn't negate the other actions of the people who do it. Right? The other actions of people who actually spend up them and spend the night awake. You know, like for example, the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever seeks knowledge or the person who seeks knowledge is better than the one who spends all night praying, all day fasting. Right? But that doesn't negate the efforts of the one who is spending the night awake in prayer and the day fasting because the Prophet ﷺ, as we know, would combine between all of them. Right? And that's like an important issue to remember when it comes to the understanding of the surah uh, or, or these kind of hadith that speak about this chapter being equal to this amount of reward and so on and so forth okay um, any questions concerning that okay so I think what we're going to do inshallah um, I think we should stop how long has it been uh, 40 minutes yeah I think we should stop then inshallah ta'ala because next next week then inshallah we will begin with the first verse of surah al-ikhlas um, and inshallah we'll call it a day there Jazakallah khair wa sallam abin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh guys Should I turn this off? No, no, no.